Mountains and going to be there uh, today and next week. And and then we'll move more into the Advent season of my messages. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 5, 18 to 21 this morning, which says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Uh, Lloyd Ogilvy was the former chaplain to the United States Senate. He was asked an interesting question. What's the most pressing need for Christians today? And he said, power to live the Christian life. Billy Graham said this. We call upon all Christians to pray for such a visitation of the sovereign spirit of God that all his fruit may appear in all his people and that all his gifts may enrich the body of Christ. We long for our theology And our experiences to line up. We believe that God can do miracles, but where are the miracles in our lives? We hunger for more. We want all God has. Don't you? I know I do. We need more of his power and less of just our trying harder. So what's the answer? Paul tells us in our text, be filled with the spirit. Let me read Ephesians 3, 16 to 19, where Paul says something similar. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And this last phrase, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So what Paul says there in Ephesians 3, verse 19, and what he says in Ephesians 5, verse 18, makes me think that, hey, I don't have all that I need Why would Paul bother to say, pray that you would be filled with all the fullness of God? Why would he say, be filled with the spirit if I'm automatically always in that state? Let me read John 16, 7. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go... I will send him to you. I mean, his disciples had to be confused by that. What could be better than Jesus's physical presence? How could it be better that he go away? But it is better because the Holy Spirit can be inside every believer. And so Jesus can work and move where then he could only be one place at one time. Now he can be in the whole world. It's better to have the spirit, he said. He also said in Luke twenty four forty nine, and behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you. But stay in the city until you were clothed with power from on high. And 50 days later, Jesus's promise was realized on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit came. Acts 2, 4. 
And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, this is a one-time event. At conversion, every Christian receives the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For in one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. But our passage in Ephesians indicates that there is a need for continual fillings because our tanks run out. So let's talk about the nature of the filling in verse 18. This is a rich verse. Don't be filled with spirits, but be filled with the spirit. Now, that's my paraphrase. Paul's analogy here, interestingly enough, is drunkenness. In a way, it's the opposite. In a way, it's similar. Alcohol abuse is rampant in our country. Alcohol is a hundred billion dollar industry. Sixty six percent of fatal car accidents involve it. Forty five percent of drownings, 70 percent of murders, drugs and alcohol, 60 percent of sexual crimes, 56 percent of assaults, 37 percent of suicides involve alcohol. It's huge on college campuses. And the media and music and commercials glamorize it. We see the beer commercials on the Super Bowl Sunday and we chuckle. Yeah, they're funny. We laugh. It looks cool. But there's nothing funny about addiction. If you grew up in an addictive, alcoholic home, you're not laughing. Now, the case can be made from the Bible for occasional or moderate drinking. Let me read a couple of verses. Psalm 104:15 says, "And wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart." Proverbs 3:10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. We know Jesus' first miracle was to turn water into wine, and folks, it really was wine. It wasn't Welch's grape juice. Water supplies then were unsafe and in some cases non-existent. Wine was an important part of Jewish life. So while a case could be made from Scripture for occasional or moderate drinking, no case whatsoever can be made from the Bible for drunkenness. Let me read out of, from Proverbs 23. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty and slumber will clothe them with rags. Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaining, who has wounds without cause, who has redness of eyes. Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. Do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent. And stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. And your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. Like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say. But I was not hurt. They beat me. But I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. First Peter 4, 3 for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, 
drunkenness, orgies, drinking, parties, and lawless idolatry. So what controls you? Does Jack Daniels or Jesus? Are we Christians just against drinking or are we for drinking in the spirit? I'm convinced that people look to alcohol for what God meant the Holy Spirit to do. Bars are pseudo churches. Families with small kids go to breweries and hang out because we don't like to drink alone. People congregate to drink. They like the fellowship of the bar, like the bar Cheers in Boston, where everyone knows your name. Became a TV show. Everyone's laughing. They've loosened up. They say and do what they wouldn't sober. Alcohol transforms their personality. They become under the influence. And some drink to escape reality and drown their sorrows. But God has something better. You could get high on him. Be filled with the spirit, Paul says, like how wind feels sails. Or aroma fills the air. You're transformed, controlled by the Spirit, intoxicated with God, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, not spirits. Now, I personally have made a conscious decision not to drink alcohol. I'm a complete teetotaler. I abused it as a teenager before I became a Christian. I found it addictive. For me to drink is sin. And Romans 14, 23 says, But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Drinking alcohol violates my conscience. And I also fear if a younger Christian brother or sister sees me drinking, they may stumble in their Christian faith. So like Paul, who stopped eating meat here in this verse 14, 23, that might have been sacrificed to idols. Someone else, it's okay for them to do that. But he denied himself for me to deny myself alcohol isn't much of a sacrifice. Nor do I want to support the alcohol industry. So don't get drunk. Get drunk on God. The grammar of a text of scripture can sometimes help us in our understanding. Sometimes it's crucial to the understanding of a text. So in verse 18, just in this small phrase, be filled. There's so much grammatically there that can help us understand what Paul is saying here. Four points grammatically. It's a command. Be filled. It's not a statement of fact. It's an indicative We've seen indicatives all over chapters one through three, what Christ has done for us. But this is the imperative mood. It's a demand. It's a command, not it would be nice if you would like to. It's non-negotiable. We can't ignore it or disregard it because it's a command in Scripture. Be filled. Secondly, it's plural. Now, in the Greek, pronouns are attached to. To the end of verbs. So in the English, you look at that, it just says be filled. There's no you. But the you is there in the Greek. And it's not singular, it's plural. You all 
all Christians, not just the Ephesian Christians Paul is writing to, not just first century Christians, not just charismatics and Pentecostals, not just clergy and missionaries, all believers be filled. The C, the third thing about the grammar, is continuous. It's continuous. It's in the present tense, be filled. So it rightly could be translated, continue being filled. We continually need him. Not a one-time event at our conversion. I can't depend on last year's filling or when I was filled with the Spirit 40 years ago. Remember the Christians who were filled with the Spirit in Acts 2-4? In Acts 4-31, just a short time later it says, And when they had prayed... The place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So now they were filled and they spoke boldly. And letter D there, it's passive. It's in the passive voice. Be filled. Allow yourself to be acted upon. You don't fill yourself. God fills you. So there's no pressure that any of us should feel in this command that I've got to perform. I've got to just do the right formula. Do you remember full service gas stations? Anyone remember those? Yeah. We were in Oregon a couple years ago. And the only gas stations they have there are full service gas stations. You can't pump your own gas in Oregon. So I found that to be a real delight. That I could just pull to the pump and someone rushed out of that little building and said, what do you have? And I said, fill her up. And he filled it up. It was great. And then I drove around, and you know what? I needed gas again a few days later. We need more. So let's talk about a few things that use up the gas in our lives. What uses up our gas? People do. Don't some people just drain you? Not your spouse, of course. No one at church, naturally. But people drain you unless you're an extreme extrovert. If you're not an extreme extrovert and you're around people and you're around hurting people, you will get drained. I've been tired in ministry, but I've never been tired of ministry. Remember the lady who touched the hem of Jesus's garment? What did he say? Power went out from me. All right. People's needs deplete you. That's not wrong. It's just a fact. You need refilled. What else drains us? Troubles. Don't troubles wear you down. Be it problems, cares, concerns, bills, debt, sickness, health issues. It's all very draining. But listen to what Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I need to come to him to be refilled. Sins, wrong choices. I, I lose my RPJ, my righteousness, peace, and joy, and I grieve the Holy Spirit when I sin. I need to repent. And asked to be refilled. And the word filled is like how the wind fills a sail. The wind lifts the sail and the boat moves. 
The Holy Spirit blows into you. You can't see the wind, but you see and feel its effects. You're like a glove, you, your life. And the Holy Spirit is like the hand that goes into the glove. The gloved hand moves around. The Holy Spirit can move you around and and work in you, accomplishing his will. That's why someone who's really shy and an introvert, filled with the Spirit, can be bold and do exploits for God. Now let's talk about the meaning or the means of the filling. Verses 19 through 21. How do I know I'm filled? How do you know a person's drunk? You observe them. There are indicators. A policeman is sitting on the road and he watches a car going down the road swerving. So he pulls out, turns on his light, and he pulls them over. He begins to have a conversation with them. They're slurring their speech. They stumble out of their car. They can't walk a straight line. They blow a 2.0 on the breathalyzer test. The police officer realizes there's some indicators here. This person is drunk. So are there any indicators as a Christian that I'm filled with the spirit? Paul lists several here. Look, let's look at those. The first is speech. Addressing one another. Let's start in the corporate worship environment. Fellowship. We, we speak to one another, hopefully encouraging words, and we're building each other up. When we have testimony time, we listen to what the Lord is doing in someone's life. I, I'm sharing the word with you today, and you're listening, and you're processing it. But Sunday's filling wears out. I need something daily. I encourage you to avail yourself of time in the word every morning or every day. Get in the Bible. Read something and pray. And we have great resources available as Christians today. Right now, media is just one that our church has a deal with that you can plug into all their resources for children and adults. Share what you know with other Christians. So you could ask yourself, do I have the indicator of my speech? What is my speech indicating? Faith-filled, encouraging words to other believers and to myself are doubt-filled, negative Words. Another indicator is singing, which we just did. We have been created to sing. God created music. I'm convinced of it. There's something divine about it. It touches us in a way emotionally, spiritually, like nothing else does. And you know what? We're all wired for it. We all have built in musical instruments. Our voices are voice chords. They're, they're like a pipe organ, right? We have that. Our hands are percussion instruments. So we're created to pray, so let's do it. It doesn't matter whether you like the songs on Sunday or not. What if God does? So sing to him. Several types of songs are listed here. Psalms. That is scripture put to music. The Psalter, the book of Psalms, was the Old Testament hymn book. And prayer book used by the worshipers in the Old Testament and used in the early church. Hymns. I like to call them H-I-M-S. Hymns. Because hymns are largely about God, who he is, his attributes. Our choruses tend to be more our response to God. Whereas the hymns tend to be more about God. 
Spiritual songs. Could they be our choruses? Could they be just spontaneous praise that erupts from the inside of us? Those, those tend to be our focuses on ourselves and our love for God. And you don't have to be musical to sing. Take me, for example. I make a joyful noise unto the Lord. At the first church I pastored in Canton, Ohio, my microphone was wired down to the nursery. And so I would lead in our church. We sang the doxology over the offering. And so one of the nursery attendants said to me, can you step back from the microphone when you sing the doxology? When you start singing, the babies start crying. Ain't church folks hilarious? She was kidding, I think. But you know what? After she said that, I've been very conscious about not singing loudly into a microphone. So I just make joyful noises and get even with God for giving me such a lousy singing voice. So maybe you're self-conscious like me. What does Paul say here? Make melody to the Lord with your heart. You can have an inner song. Corporate worship is so important. There's nothing else like it in our lives. So come and sing the songs and then have them in your minds and sing them throughout the week and let them edify and encourage you. So don't blow off church. Don't blow off singing, even if you don't sing well like me. Let me just go on a little aside for a moment here and talk about a couple benefits of worship. I think the first one is it brings God's presence. You know, Psalm 22.3 in the King James Version says God inhabits the praises of his people. God comes when we worship. Here's a second benefit. It routes the enemy. It routes the enemy. When God comes, the devil runs in the opposite direction. And First Chronicles 20 is a great text if you want to read an interesting story. The people of Israel are surrounded by enemies. And a prophet comes to the king who's worried that they're going to be destroyed. And the prophet says, God told me to tell you to send the choir out in front of the army. Now, if I'm a choir member, I'm a little concerned about this. Why hasn't God told me about this? But the choir went out in front and they began to sing and the enemy got confused and they started fighting each other. And God won a great victory. Maybe today you feel like you're surrounded by enemies. So why not praise? Another blessing about worship is it sets you free. Another great story in the Bible, Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are ministering to Philippi and they get arrested and beaten and, and put in jail. And it says about midnight, they begin to praise the Lord. Now, me, if it were me, I think I'd be complaining. God, this is really bad. Get me out of here. But they sang. And it says all the prisoners heard them. That praise rose above the jail cell in Philippi, Greece, all through the different stratospheres, all the way through the heavens to the throne room of God. And I think God heard that praise and he began tapping his foot. You know, the Bible says that the earth is the footstool of the Lord and the earth shook and the prison doors opened and they could have walked out free. And they did later. It sets you free. Worship does. We had a friend in that church in Canton named Debbie Beck. 
And I was talking about praise in God when you're in the midst of your problems. And so she said, Pastor, I had this car that doesn't start consistently. So the other day it wouldn't start. And I got up and I sat on the hood of the car and I began to sing praise songs. And you know what? Then I went back in the car and it started right up. Praise God. Sit on your problems and praise him. Okay, let's go back to the indicators again. What's another indicator that I'm filled with the spirit? I give thanks. A grateful heart is an indicator that you're filled with the spirit. The attitude of gratitude. Gratitude, not grumbling. You know what? The Jews died in the wilderness. In fact, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years and then God let them all die out. Why? Because they grumbled continuously and God just got sick and tired of it and let them die. When I grumble, my heart shrinks up. When I praise him and give thanks, my heart expands. Even in hard circumstances, I can be thankful. First Thessalonians 5.18, give thanks in all circumstances, not just when things are going my way, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You can thank God for how good he's been to you in the past. That will help build your faith if you're in a current problem in the present moment. Give him thanks because you're fine and you're alive and thank God what he's going to do in the future. Thankfulness creates an environment that brings the fullness of the spirit. One last indicator that I'm filled with the spirit is my willingness to submit, submitting to both God and others. Verse 21, when I submit, I humble myself. Pride always repels God. Humility draws him. It brings the fullness of the spirit. It's an indicator that I'm filled. Perhaps I submit to others musical tastes. I submit to others gifts. I submit in marriage. We're going to look at that next week. I submit at work. I submit at school. I take the humble position and God honors that he comes. Charles Finney said all of us from time to time need a fresh awareness of God's presence in our lives. Personal revival is one of the most intimate moments we can spend with a savior. Have you grown weary from life's stresses and continuous pressures? Christ will revive you and bring freshness to your heart and soul. If you come to him in humility and honesty. Okay, let's close up here. Let's get practical. How can I be filled with the spirit? Let me suggest three things. First, hunger and thirst. That's my starting point. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. There's a story of a young man who went to an older holy man. He wanted more of God and he didn't know how to achieve it. He knew the holy man was wise and would know. So that man led the younger man to a river and he told him to bend down on his knees. And when he did that, the old man took it to the back of his neck and head and pushed it under the water. And he held him there with all his strength. And the young man struggled to get up, but he was younger and stronger. And he finally forced his head up out of the water. And he looked at the old man puzzled and said, why did you do that? And he said, when you want God as much as you wanted air, 
you'll be filled. If I'm filled with all the world, I don't have any room for God. The second thing we need to do is ask. Ask Luke eleven thirteen. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit who ask him? It's that simple, really. I just ask and he answers my prayer. And then finally, I receive. I just receive it by faith. I just believe that God's promise is true. And so at the close of our service, our praise team is going to come up in just a moment and they're going to sing a final song and we're going to stand and praise God one last time. But I'm just going to offer if someone out there happens to want to be prayed for today, I'm happy to pray for you. I'll anoint you with oil and just pray that God fill you, that he just come in your life more than he is right now. Now, you can pray that for yourself at home. You don't need me. I don't have a magic formula. But if you want me to pray for you, I want to and I'm happy to. So while we're standing and singing, if you just want to come up front somewhere, I'll I'll find you and come over and pray for you. Let me close with a quote from Lloyd Ogilvy, who I began with. He said, simply put, the Holy Spirit makes Jesus the most important thing in your life. Time and again, I've seen people who love the Lord, but never seem to be really excited about serving him or being in his presence. But when they become clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, suddenly their lives change. Their walk becomes much more intensified. Their desire to serve grows. Their love deepens and their commitment, accountability and responsibility increase. And just as importantly, they have a new discernment about spiritual warfare and wisdom in dealing with it. Lord, thank you for Paul writing this to the Ephesians Inspired by your Holy Spirit who was in him, he wrote and told them, be filled with the Spirit. And Lord, we need that often. We need your Holy Spirit to fill our lives, that we are moving and operating under the leading of the Holy Spirit. I just pray that each of us would hunger for more of you and would realize it in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.
from this place to be filled with all of you that we might be filled with all the fullness of God and then know you and serve you in Jesus name Amen